Thank you for listening to our podcast. Church at the Well is a community practicing the way of Jesus and thirsting for the life he gives. Good morning, church. Uh, Before um, I get to open up God's word with you all today, I did want to just express my thanks uh, to Church at the Well for its support for RUF at UVM. Uh, RUF is a campus ministry of the Presbyterian Church, and you will find RUF chapters you know, on, college, on 178 college campuses around the world and in 41 of the 50 U.S. states. Uh, the RUF at UVM is the first in the state of, of Vermont, and it's actually the first sort of in northern New England, which kind of comprises Maine, New Hampshire, and Vermont. Um, I love getting to minister at UVM for a whole lot of reasons. I mean, UVM's a great college and a cool college town, and I mean, we all know just how beautiful Burlington and Vermont is, but probably the number one reason why I love working at UVM is the students themselves. Uh, Getting to meet them and know them. Some of them are here in this room. We've got some, you know, RUF alumni uh, here, uh, even leading worship. Um, Thank you, Sam. Sam went to uh, App State, but he did RUF there. Uh, it's a great, great thing uh, to get to just minister to college students. Uh, college is just a real formative time in one's life. I'm going to kind of geek out here for just a second, but the Greeks had two words for time. You have chronos, which is where we get the word chronology, and it's sort of the measure of time. It's seconds and minutes and hours. But they had this other word for time called kairos. And that's not the measure of time sort of in seconds, minutes, and hours, but really a measure of the quality of time. And I think of chronos kind of like a metronome, kind of going tick, 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 tick. It's always the same, but kairos is the music that happens in between those beats, in between those ticks. I just turned 40 this year. Um, The chronos between 36 and 40 is identical so the chronos between 18 and 22. It's the exact same. Same number of seconds and minutes and hours, but the kairos, the music that happens between that time, is really different. <laughs> like, I'm in kind of like a folk rock sort of season of my life, but college is really jazzy. <laughs> There's a lot of improv and a lot of sort of on your, the tip of your toes excitement and sort of new riffs and experimentation. Everything sort of is up for grabs. Everything is sort of on the table. And uh, it's for that reason that studies have shown that a lot of faith switching happens, the majority of faith switching happens before the age of 25. It's just this really unique formative time in one's life. Yes, people come to faith later. It's just harder. This is a really interesting, jazzy, formative season of one's life, and I'm really grateful to get to be there, and to be there with your support. The second reason I'll just say why I'm really glad to be at UVM is that it's not just a strategic time in one's life, it's also a really strategic place. 90% of the students at UVM come from the Northeast. This is a very regional school. If you know anything about sort of religious demographics, the Northeast is one of the least churched, least religious regions in our country, which means the bulk of the students that I'm ministering to are either really trying hard to keep the faith in a really hard place, or they've just never been exposed to the gospel before. And so in this really strategic time, in this really strategic place, we get to come alongside students and share, them, uh, share with them the good news uh, about Jesus. And again, it's thanks to your support. I got a very short video I'd love for you to see. It just kind of gives you a little, 
little glimpse, a little taste of what we do at campus, and then I'm going to share three bullet points of how you can help, and then we'll get into God's Word. So if you want to cue that up. All right. Three really quick ways that you all can just come alongside and support. The first is just to pray. Um, I, if you, I, I encourage everyone, if you haven't done so already, sign up for emails for Church at the Well. It's a great way to get announcements about what's happening here at this church, but there's also a listserv, and I'll send out on a listserv just my email contact information. We have a, an email that goes out maybe about once a month with just updates about the ministry at UVM and ways that you can pray. I'd love for you to be praying for us, for the students. Two, to give. Give to the Church of the Well. Um, this church is super supportive of missions. You can also give to, to RUF2. Um, you know, a monthly donation of $30 a month goes a long way in helping us come alongside students and offering coffees, you know, one-on-ones over coffees or pizzas at Wednesday Night Fellowship, um, you know, a men's breakfast. And then three, um, uh, I would encourage you just to consider maybe making a meal um, or cookies or treats for our Wednesday Night Fellowship or, you know, helping maybe host uh, that pizza dinner and just meals even sometimes like after church, maybe doing like uh, taking students who are here in this congregation just out for lunch, getting to know them. Meals is such a great way to just to minister. I mean, uh, somebody said, you know, in, in the Gospels, we always find Jesus sort of at a meal, coming from a meal or going to a meal. Like he loves to eat with people because meals is really a place where barriers come down and, you know, the gospel is shown. And so you can support that too. Thank you so much. Uh, do appreciate it. Um, I'm going to invite Sarah Jane, who is a friend of mine. She's a former colleague. She, Sarah Jane, if you don't know, she did R, the RUF internship at UVM for three years. I've had the real pleasure of working with her for three years. She's going to read to us from God's Word today. Uh, it's John 15, 1 to 11. Up here. Use this mic. <laughs> All right. Can you all hear me? Cool. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that I may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he is that who, wait, whoever abides in me and I in him, he is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you may bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you... Oh, is that good? That's cool. Good. <laughs> I appreciate your enthusiasm. <laughs> Thank you, Sarah Jane. Sarah Jane just read to us from John. Uh, this is not Sarah Jane's word. It's not my word, even though this is it's a different John. Uh, this, is, this is God's word. And so before we even look at it, would you just join me and pray? 
Heavenly Father, thank you so much for gathering us here uh, on this Sunday. Um, We are here because you are a good God and you pursue people like us and you call us into your presence. Uh, Not only have you given us this word, you've given us the one to whom all these words point. You've given us Jesus. And so, Lord, as we look at his words, would you just give us eyes to see him afresh? Uh, Would you give us ears to hear him? Uh, And would you give us hearts that are sensitive to what it is you want to impress upon us today? Uh, We ask these things for your glory, for our good, and for the joy of the world. Uh, We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I'm a dad to two kids. I've got uh, a son named JB, John Bradley. He turns four months old today. And I've got a daughter named Willa, who's going to be seven a week from today. Uh, At school this year, uh, my daughter Willa was given a small plastic cup that was filled with dirt. Inside her cup of dirt, uh, Willa planted a tiny seed. I'm pretty sure it was like a watermelon seed. Every day at school, Willa would run into the classroom and she would check on her watermelon seed and, and look for signs of growth. Willa was invested in the life of this plant, though it didn't cost her very much. I mean, her sunk cost was literally a tiny seed that she sunk into the soil with her thumb or forefinger. I mean, that and like a dash of water. But even though it cost her little, Willa was invested. She cared what happened to the seed. She cared what happened uh, to uh, this, this life in her cup and care. Now, thinking about Willa and her cup of dirt got me thinking about you with yours. Because we all have a cup of dirt, don't we? Right? Your cup of dirt is bigger and more metaphorical than Willa's, but you got a cup of dirt, right? Your cup of dirt is your realm of responsibility. It's the, the people and the things that God has put under your care. It's your work and your family and your friendships and your marriages or your dating relationship, whatever it may be, right? It's the, the sum of those things. That's your cup of dirt. Even God has got a cup of dirt, right? This earth, he's invested in it. He's invested in us. Yes, your cup of dirt is bigger than Willow's. Yes, you are investing more than just a seed and some H2O. We could say time and energy and attention, blood, sweat, and tears. But you have this in common. Willa wanted the life and her cup of dirt to grow healthy and strong. And we want the lives in our cup of dirt to grow healthy and strong too. Because whenever we invest in something, be it people or plants, we want that investment to pay off. We want the hours of care and attention, we give it to be worth the while. And to borrow language from John 15, we want there to be fruit at the end of the vine, at the end of the branch. Now, since fruit is what we're all after, it's probably helpful to specify what fruit is and isn't. Fruit is not an ornament. Fruit is not decoration there to make the tree look pretty. It's not a badge, it's not a medal, it's not a gold star. 
Fruit, you could say, is not so much for the tree, but for those around the tree. See, fruit grows up and out of the tree to give life and nourishment to those around it. When the Bible says that God wants us to bear good fruit, what it is saying is that God wants to grow, uh, grow us in such a way that when people encounter us, when they sort of sink the teeth into, their, into our lives, they taste and see something good. They taste and see that He is good. God wants us to bless others this way, with our lives, with our fruit. But fruit isn't just something that gives life in its flesh. Fruit also contains life in its seed. Fruit is how a tree reproduces itself. If I give you an apple, for example, I'm not just giving you something to eat. I'm giving you something that has within it the potentiality and the possibility for more apple trees. Fruit gives life, fruit encapsulates life, and fruit multiplies it. Connecting dots. In verse 1 of our passage, Jesus says, I'm the vine and my father is the vine dresser. And as verses 2 and following make plain, the father farmer wants us, his people, to bear good fruit. You might ask, what kind of fruit exactly? We don't have to guess. The Bible is explicit. Look at Isaiah chapter 5 with me, verses 1 and 2 and verse 7. Here's another passage from the scriptures where God is described as a vine dresser. It's a popular motif, but follow along here. It says, let me sing for my beloved, my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a wine vat in it. And he looked for it to yield wild, or he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. And he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed. For righteousness, but behold, an outcry. See, God is a gardener. And he has planted us here on earth for a purpose. He wants his justice to grow out of us. He wants his righteousness to flow out of us. He wants his shalom to fill the face of the earth. Never forget that justice is what love looks like in public. Cornell West said that. And I'm sure that Jesus would agree. Because when Jesus commands us to love one another, as he does in verses 12 and 17 of this chapter, what Sarah Jane was going to get to, right? It's because the Son wants what the Father has always wanted. Love of God and love of neighbor. Love in public, right? Love indeed. See, the fruit God is growing in us and out of us is not meant to be kept behind closed refrigerator doors. It's not meant to sit in a wicker basket uh, on your kitchen island. Right? The fruit that God is growing in us is more like the raspberry bushes that my neighbor planted on his fence line. Right? He planted them there for a purpose. He planted them there because he wants every passerby to be able to taste and see that they're good. Right? 
to enjoy that, that melt-in-your-mouth goodness that is a raspberry. And similarly, God wants us to be men and women uh, who are made in His image, after His likeness, who live lives full of justice and righteousness and love. He wants us to be people who put broken things back together again, who care for the weak and marginalized, who give a voice to the voiceless. He wants us to be a people who give a watching world a little glimpse and a little foretaste of the kingdom that's yet to come. By this my Father is glorified, Jesus says in verse 8, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Fruit that not only brings joy to the world, but has in its seed the DNA of eternity. God wants us to grow this kind of fruit. And look, you want this kind of fruit to grow out of you too. At the end of the lives and at the end of our branches, we want something good to show for it. We want to be the kind of branches that Jesus is describing here in John 15. We want our lives to tell a story of God's goodness and faithfulness. We all want to hear Jesus' benediction and approbation. Well done, good and faithful servant. See, fruit is something we all want. And Jesus, in John 15, tells us how to get it. Not just what we want, but how to get it. So here, the, uh, here then, these next two points as sort of two essential habits or, or practices. I'll start with the most obvious. The word abide is mentioned ten times in this passage. Abide comes from the Greek word meno. Uh, it's a word that means to remain in, to reside, to live in, or as translated here, to abide. Now someone abides in an abode. And Jesus is inviting us to abide slash live in him for us to make our home in him. It's unusual to talk about living in someone until you listen closely to somebody's wedding vows. When a couple is getting married, essentially what they're saying is, I'm all in. I'm not going anywhere. Now that's residential kind of language. I'm all in. I'm not going anywhere. And that is essentially what Jesus is saying to us here. I'm all in. I'm not going anywhere. Now abide in me as I abide in you. Abide in my love. Right? Hold tight to me, friend. Hold tight to me, bride. Because I'm holding tight to you. While it's important for us to hear the very real and personal aspects of this invitation, it's equally important we don't lose sight of its public context or consequence. And a simpler way of saying what I just said is this. Jesus' invitation, his command really, to abide has as its context a larger conversation about fruit bearing. The best way I know how to illustrate this is not with a branch and vine so much uh, as a hose and water sprinkler. When Megan and I moved to Burlington, Vermont, 10 years ago, we bought a house on Green Street. 
And when we bought a house on Green Street, we inherited a mud pit for a backyard. It was tohu and bohu back there. It was formless and void, right? But within a week, we got to work, and we started bringing order out of chaos. We put in a stone patio over here, and then we planted, I don't know, some azaleas over here. We created spaces, and we filled them, and it was good. It was good. It was good. As the work week was nearing its completion, we put a water sprinkler smack dab in the middle of the backyard, and we put it there in the middle to keep everything around it green and good. Water flowed into the sprinkler, and water flowed out. The sprinkler did its job. It was always sharing and never running dry. Now things were very, very good. But one day I turned the water on at the source and no water came out of the sprinkler. See, somehow the sprinkler got disconnected from the hose. When I picked up the sprinkler, a couple of drops came out. See, obviously water had flowed into it once upon a time, but shaking water from a disconnected sprinkler is not the way you water the yard. Cue Jesus' words in John 15, verse 5. Disconnected from me, you can't do much. You can't do anything, really. What would you do in a situation like mine? Better yet, what does God do in a situation like this? What does He do when His image bearers, designed to be conduits of His goodness and grace, What does he do when we get disconnected from him? What does he do when we run dry and the world around us begins to die? As surely as I wanted a good green yard, God wanted one too. A world full of justice and beauty and shalom. He wanted it way back then. He wants it even now. Which is why when we get disconnected from him, he doesn't say to heck with sprinkler systems. Instead, he hooks back up what got disconnected. He sends us his son, who in his life, death, and resurrection perfectly reconciles us to the Father, gets us hooked back up again. And having reestablished our lost connection, he then tells us to abide. Let my life and love and joy flow into you, he says. And because you're a branch connected to a vine or a sprinkler hooked up to a hose, Let my life and love and joy flow out of you as well. Keep Jesus' commands by not keeping him to yourself. Jesus makes our abiding possible. And it is something he tells us to take some responsibility for. But this is only half the story or equation. Because growth doesn't just come from addition. Somewhat paradoxically, growth comes from subtraction as well. Because we don't just need to abide, we need to be pruned. I want you to look at verses 1 and 2 again with me. Jesus says, I'm the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. As we come to the end of verse 2, 
it's worth noting that everyone, everyone gets cut by the vine dresser. Some are cut off, some are cut back, but everyone gets cut. Most interesting, it's the good fruit-bearing branches who are cut many times, while those bearing no fruit at all are cut only once. Let's flush that out some. About a month ago, Burlington Public Works pruned the trees on my street, now Prospect Street. Okay, theirs was a five-man crew with two chainsaws and a chipper. When the work was done, every tree on my street had been cut, and one tree was cut down. Now, every time I watched a branch get lopped off, I heard the chainsaw screaming, nope. And every time I heard uh, or, or saw like a sawed-off limb fed to the chipper, it seemed to me some sort of dream or possibility sort of reduced to mulch. Pruning is sometimes violent. And watching it and hearing it sounds, one might wonder, is Burlington Public Works run by a bunch of monsters? Uh, are, are, is this a bunch of sadists <laughs> working their way you know, down Prospect Street? Certainly not. See, the ones doing the pruning are not cutting the trees because they want to hurt the trees. They're cutting the trees because they love the trees. And they want them and those around them to thrive. See, when the work of pruning was done, I surveyed where BPW had made its cuts. And it was clear that they were removing limbs that were growing dangerously close to telephone wires or sort of stretching out into the street where they could have been clipped by a bus or a fire truck, which would have done not just damage to the bus or fire truck, but could have done grave damage to the tree itself. At one basic level, pruning is a form of protection. It's cutting things off that left unchecked could bring the whole tree down, fruit and all. Which begs, I think, an important question. What are some things in your life that left unchecked, left unpruned, might threaten to take down your whole life or your whole ministry, fruit and all? C.S. Lewis called this a severe mercy. I think we can call it protective love. If there's going to be fruit at the, end of the at the end of your life and at the end of your branches, this must happen. God wants to cut out things that threaten to take your whole life down, fruit and all. But pruning is not just a form of protection. It's also a form of direction. I want you to imagine an apple tree. Half of the branches on this tree are bursting with good fruit. Uh, the other half, not so much. Okay, so long as the not-so-good branches are connected to the tree, they will continuously demand energy and resources from the tree. But if the farmer prunes the not-so-good branches, the energy that once flowed to them is now going to be redirected and channeled to the ones that are full of really good fruit. Which is to say, pruning is a farmer's way of saying, don't go this way, go this way. Right? Don't go over here or invest in this, invest in this thing over, uh, over here instead. Which raises, I think, another important question. 
What is something that is robbing you of joy or robbing you of fruitfulness? What is something that no matter how much time and energy you give it, it's just never going to bear very good fruit? Here are some personal examples. Constantly checking the news on my phone. That's never going to yield, I think, really good fruit. Doom scrolling the New York Times. (laughs) Not fruitful. Constantly checking email first thing in the morning. Or checking your stock portfolio, portfolio right before bed. That's not a personal example. I don't have a stock portfolio. But checking that right before bed. Most forms of social media. One more drink. Or one more episode of Netflix. See, we all have things that take up a lot of time and energy. Some of it yielding good fruit, but some of it not so much. God wants to get pruning. Pruning directs us in other ways as well. Right? It opens up new possibilities and ways to go and grow. So long as RUF has been at UVM, students have heard that when Jesus calls us to himself, he also calls us into community. Right? Our journey with Jesus is not a free solo up El Cap, but it's more like a Shackleton expedition to the pole. We get to our destination with other people. But then the pandemic happened, and students who got the importance of community were now all of a sudden all alone and at home in isolation and in quarantine. And from a social distance, I watched these students struggle to know how to make sense of the chaos out there, but also the chaos in here. They had a hard time hearing God's voice amidst the the, the swirl. Simply put, they didn't know how to pray. That spring, April 2020, I realized I had done a good job with one aspect of my calling. I we could give myself maybe a B plus, but I was failing students in another, maybe a D minus. And it took the pruning that was the pandemic to help me to see that and to make course corrections. I'll tell you one more story. In 2020, we graduated 20 seniors. Okay, we had a big class. We had, RUF was, was, was full. But at the end of the semester, we had 25 students total. After two years, our ministry looks a lot smaller. But I don't think it's because we're sick or diseased. In some ways, I feel like we're more, we're more sharp and focused than ever. We just look smaller. We look pruned. RUF at UVM looks like a four-year-old ministry, but with 10-year-old roots right now. It's sort of, we look like a 2016 ministry, but with 2022 know-how. And as I reflected on that this spring, it's almost like pruning is like time travel without a DeLorean. Like Jesus is taking me back in time. By pruning us, he's taking me back in time and saying, what if you could do it all over again? but with everything you know now. And that is an awesome invitation. That is an incredible opportunity. I don't think I'm the only person in this room with stories like this. I'm convinced that God used the pandemic to prune all of us here. 
We've all experienced cutbacks these past 28 months. We've seen cuts to our budgets, cuts to our staff, cuts to our income, cuts to our vacations. Uh, our commitment to the way, the truth, and the life has sometimes cost us a job or a promotion, a would-be friend or a donor. But rather than seeing these cutbacks as setbacks, see them for what they really are. God's handiwork, right? giving shape and direction to your life, teaching you what is essential and what is superfluous, ways that you need to repent and ways that you can grow. This place, Church of the Well, is a, is a, is a space and a place can encourage each other with those kinds of stories. I mentioned Burlington Public Works pruning the trees on my street. About an hour after the pruning was done, I took my son from his crib and we sat on our front porch. A breeze began to blow through town and the tree in front of my house, which once stood as stiff as a statue, was now swaying in the breeze. Can you see it? It dawned on me in that moment that the tree out front had gotten so big that it was hard to see the movement of the wind, of the ruach, the spirit, and its branches. And pruned, it called to mind that image in Isaiah of a tree clapping its hands with joy. In his book, Pilgrims and Priests, uh, Dutch pastor Stefan Pass says, we're often concerned that our churches and ministries are too small, but perhaps the real danger is that they can become too large. See, Jesus often used small things to describe the work of the Christian. Seed, salt, leaven. But in America, there's an obsession with bigness. And we in this room are not immune. We want the biggest ministry, the biggest programs, the most students, the most likes. But what if being the biggest is actually getting in the way of Jesus' real objective, which is not our bigness, but our fruitfulness? That his life might be seen in us, right? That we would be the bearers of good fruit. As past writes, it's very possible that many churches must become smaller in order to see this. Uh, this is a good sign. But you get my drift. Last September, my family went to the Champlain Valley Fair. Did any of you else go? Okay. The fair is by its very nature short-lived, ephemeral. It's here today. It's gone tomorrow. It's noisy and it's flashy. At the fair, everything is fighting for your attention. right? The blaring music, the flashing lights. And the fair is also obsessed with bigness, right? The biggest cow, the biggest pig, the biggest pumpkin, the biggest sunflower. But the greatest thing that I saw at the fair this year was something quite small. In a quiet corner of a massive tent, beyond the 1,000-pound pumpkin and the 17-foot-tall sunflower, right? Everything saying, look how big I am, look how awesome I am, like, look how incredible I am. 
beyond that and in the shadow of that, I stumbled upon a humble collection of bonsai trees. See, in a place where nothing seemed to last were trees that had been cared for across the generations. The oldest bonsai in the collection was 400 years old. Every one of those trees bore silent witness to a lifetime of love and devoted attention. Every one of those trees in its entirety proved that someone was guiding and shaping its life. Bonsai trees are beautiful, and they are this way because they are cut many, many times. And in the presence of the bonsai, I caught a glimpse of what it looks like when God, our good father and vine dresser, has his hands all over our lives. The result is a resting in its beauty. It's a non-anxious presence in a very chaotic world. As a countervision to the bonsai trees, I want you to imagine the berry bushes at the edge of the farm down the road. Without a trellis, their branches are rambling and aimless. Their fruit grows low to the ground, mushy, moldy, and stepped on. These bushes have no vine dresser, and it shows. This is what a life looks like that says, keep your hands off of me. And it's not very pretty. Returning to the bonsai trees then, pruning is not just a sign of our fruitfulness. Pruning is ultimately a sign of God's love and care. Brothers and sisters, God wants you to bear good fruit. There are things that he wants to add to your life. Ways for you to get connected and to stay connected to Jesus. Ways for you to be a branch or a water sprinkler and extend his love to other people. There are also ways for you to be lightened and guided and experience newfound growth. While you have a part to play in this growth, right, abide is a command after all. This work did not originate with you, and it is not entirely up to you either. Right, this is the Father's doing, and you are in the hands of a good vine dresser. And even now, He's running those same hands through the leaves of your life. He's strengthening connections. He's forging new ones. He is pruning branches, and he is causing you to grow. This is for his glory and for our enjoyment. Yours, mine, the world's. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this cultivating work that you are doing in our life. Not just joining us back to yourself, that we might uh, have your life and love flow into us, but that it might flow out of us as well. That others around us might taste and see of your goodness much the same ways that we have. Would that be true of us? Would that be true of this church? And Lord, we praise you and we thank you for your pruning, for, for protecting us and for guiding us and for showing us your careful attention and your love. We give you our thanks and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. You're listening to the official podcast of Church of the Well in Burlington, Vermont. For more information about Church of the Well, 
including gathering time and location, events, and how you can financially support the podcast, please visit us online at www.wellchurchvt.org.